0: A couple of years ago, we were at one of Chad's baseball games at Eastern Mennonite, which is up in Virginia. We noticed that prior to the game, they didn't have a national anthem, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I looked around and I noticed there wasn't a flag flying anywhere near the ball field. So between games, I went to grab a hamburger because curiosity got the best of me and I was hungry. Um, so I said to the hamburger guy, I said, so under, I noticed we didn't sing the national anthem. I was just curious, and I suspected, but I was just curious, and I noticed there wasn't a flag. And he said, well, the Mennonites are a historical peace church, along with the Brethren, the Mennonites, and, of course, the Quakers. And he said, it's our way of communicating to those who come in a very quiet but yet consistent manner that we live our lives in allegiance to a greater authority, to a greater government, to a greater power, the kingdom of God, as he said, or the government of God. Now, he says it's not that we don't love America. It's not that we don't consider ourselves unpatriotic. And by this time, the line was really forming behind me, so I'm getting more than a hamburger. I'm getting the whole, I'm getting the whole thing. He said we see ourselves living out our patriotism by looking for the best in who America could be and living out the values of the kingdom of God in their ordinary and daily routine. Now, a little clarification here. They do have summer tournaments there at Eastern Mennonite, and they're very open to teams bringing their own flags and offering the national anthem during their own games. But as a school, when you go there for their basketball games, for their football games, and for their baseball games, you will not hear a national anthem And you will not see a flag. Now, you may disagree with their position. And knowing some of you as I do, I suspect that you do. And they would certainly understand that. You may not see it the way they do. But for me, I was challenged by how conscientiously they lived out their commitment to the kingdom of God. And how willing they were to articulate their reasons amidst what I'm sure is awkward conversations misunderstandings, and the pressure to change, probably from everything from parents to alumni to folks who live right in the community. So the kingdom of God, it's a huge deal because it's what Jesus talked about. It's what Jesus embodied when he began his ministry. He talked about there is good news, and he connected up the good news with this, the kingdom of God. Repent and believe, he said, For the kingdom of God is at hand. What does it mean that it's at hand? It's right here. If something is at hand, it's right near you. You don't have to go very far for it. Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is right here. It's present. It's in the now. In fact, he said, in fact, it's right here in me. You look at my life. This is the kingdom of God in action. Now, kingdoms collide. The title of today's prepared message is essentially to get at this sense that there's this collision of kingdoms in our lives, at least I suspect, when we begin to listen and really understand what it means to live under the kingdom of God. One person put it this way as far as other kingdoms. There is this kingdom of Caesar or this this kingdom of the ruling culture of the day. It's... The empire, it's the, it's the mindset of the day where violence and power and fear is what usually rules outside of God's kingdom. Rome was the empire in Jesus' day, and they ruled by violence and fear, so much so that if you were traveling down the road from one city to the next, they had crucifixions set up along the road. And on the, crucifix, on, the, on the crosses they had people who had basically disagreed with the Roman Empire, and they had them hanging there. And the idea was, for the Romans, saying to everybody, you just as well conform to the law of the land, because if you don't, this is probably what will happen to you. They called it back then the Peace of Rome, and the Peace of Rome was kept in check through violence and intimidation and fear. That's the kingdom of the world. Now, it may not be that stark to you and I, it may not be that dramatic for you and I, but the Kingdom of the world also tells us many other things and causes us to fear. Fear that someone might get ahead of us. Fear that we may not have enough. Fear of, of maybe not achieving enough. Fear of, 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 of never, never having enough to, to keep us comfortable and secure. Fear that someone else may get ahead. In other words, this kingdom of the world is simply a kingdom based on one thing, Fear fear of the other, fear of life. There's the kingdom of, I guess for lack of a better term, the status quo religion. Those who were complicit with Rome of that day were basically the religious teachers, the Pharisees, who simply turned a blind eye to everything that was happening. The the Romans said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, if you simply tell everyone to get along, we'll leave you alone. And so the religious leaders would say to everybody, if you'll just leave Rome alone, everything will be fine. You see why Jesus was such a revolutionary? Because he came in and he challenged everything from Rome to the religious leaders of the day and simply said, we cannot live by the status quo anymore. God has brought a new order to this world, and you are, in a sense, diluting it. I wrestle as a pastor, what Jesus would say today if he came into the average local church. This is what I think about during this time of year and this week. When Jesus is coming to the end of his life, and he knows time is short, and he's wanting to communicate to folks what really matters. Then there's the kingdom of God. Manifested in the life and presence of Jesus, writing... Humbly on a donkey, living as a direct alternative to the other kingdoms. The kingdom of fear, the kingdom of the status quo. Inviting those gathered around him to follow him, make this kingdom the ruling and governing factor of their life. Now, you, you may not use the word kingdom much in your language, and I get that. I mean, who goes around talking about kingdoms in this day and age? But maybe a different word would work. A kingdom is really that which governs. It's the government, if you will, the government of God. So maybe in order to connect with us, we can look at it this way. Who or what governs our life? Who or what gets our allegiance? Is it the prevailing culture of the day? The prevailing powers of the day? Do we compromise our religious institutions in order to simply get along with the prevailing powers? Do I compromise my faith and what I believe? Just simply to not cause awkwardness? Or am I governed by the life and example of Jesus? These snapshots that I had Tom and I read this morning are essentially that. It's the kingdom of God really in miniature, for me at least. It's the spiritual journey in miniature. In John's gospel, in the, last sto- in the story of the Last Supper, John writes that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God. Now listen to those words. John says that Jesus knew that God had given him authority over everything. And I think that's everything. So what does Jesus do in that moment? What he could have done was he could have gathered everybody around the table, put out a plan, got the maps out, got the strategy out, and said what? This is how we're going to take over. This is how we're going to overthrow the Romans. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He took a towel. He knelt down to each of his disciples, and he washed their feet. The lowliest of jobs. And by the way, think how vulnerable you are when you do that, especially in a culture and an age when you never know who's going to put a knife in your back. He's literally kneeling with his head bowed, washing their feet, and he can't see what's going on around him. It's this vulnerable servanthood that Jesus says, if you want to show this world what the kingdom of God is like, get on your knees and serve. And then he says this, a new commandment I've given you, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In Luke's gospel, while he's on the cross, then, Jesus offers wor- these words. Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. So here's another snapshot. In that moment of horrific violence, Jesus could have wiped everyone out. Remember, he said, what, God has given me everything. Everything. He could have retaliated. He could have exacted vengeance on those around him. Instead, he offers forgiveness. Shows the way to freedom and the way of the kingdom of God, which is the way of forgiveness and peace. And so this is the collision of kingdoms, as I like to put it. You and I live in a culture in which we're told that often the best way is the way of retaliation and violence. Figure out who your enemy is. And when you do, get the best of your enemy. Or we live in a culture in which lowly service takes a back seat and this posturing for power is seen as the way to go. And by the way, this, that's not just for all the, all the powerful people that we often see or we think about in corporate worlds. It can happen even in the most ordinary places. I just had a conversation with a young man who, who is wanting to be more um, available to speak and to preach and to offer his gifts of ministry. And in the conversation, he starts to kind of go on a rant. And in this rant, he starts to point out another person. This is a, a young Quaker man who doesn't live in this state. And he says, You know, so and so, they get all the speaking engagements. I could speak just as well as him. And I don't know him well enough to say, Well, you probably will one day, but not yet with that attitude. But I didn't. But the reason I could say that was I knew who that was years ago. That was me. I'm not saying I'm completely clear of it every now and then. But I know what that felt like. I know what it felt like to just feel like everybody's getting ahead of me. I'm just as good as them. So I want a little bit more power. I want a little bit more prestige. I want a little bit more notoriety. And God says why don't you take a towel, why don't you wash a few feet, why don't you humbly serve in that capacity, and don't worry about the press reports, just simply live out the kingdom. We live in a culture which religious institutions maybe are nervous about making too much of a big deal about issues of justice and righteousness, so it it becomes easy to settle for a kind of status quo. And so these kingdoms and mindsets they collide on a regular basis with the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of love. And it happens often in a very private place, too, in our hearts and in our souls, where we wrestle with these allegiances, where we wrestle with our decisions and we wrestle with our choices. And so I want to invite you and myself to internalize the events of this week. To not just see them as outward events, but to to gather them in our hearts, to remember them inwardly, and wrestle with these colliding kingdoms and allegiances in our life and ask ourselves and myself, so what is it speaking to me about who and what I put my trust and faith in? The triumphal entry begins with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, Tom read, one that was a complete alternative to the other procession. And by the way, there was another parade going on in town at that same time. On the other side of Jerusalem, you had Caesar coming into town with his chariots and his armies and his weapons and his power. And he comes in on one side of town. So Jesus comes in on the other side of town on a donkey with palm branches and children. And he says, now make a choice because one is the kingdom of God and one is the kingdom of power. So am I willing to live my life as this humble alternative to the prevailing culture of the day? Am I willing to really, really live my life as one who lives this humble alternative to what often is spoken? In the Last Supper, Jesus redefines what it means to be a disciple. So am I willing to let love and service be the defining mark of my life as a follower of Jesus? In the cross, in the midst of his deepest point of betrayal and rejection, in the midst of all that, Jesus forgives. So am I willing to let die within me my need to retaliate, my tendency to make enemies, my sometimes justification to hate, and instead offer forgiveness? And in the garden, we didn't read that story, but in his own personal struggle, Jesus simply says to God, not my will, but your will be done. Am I willing to regularly allow God's will to be my will for my life? To allow God's purposes to be my purposes. Now, if the truth be known, my greatest struggle will go on until the day I die. And my struggle is this, between living the kingdom of God and living the kingdom of self or the kingdom of Scott. And I suspect I'm not alone in the struggle. We probably all have our feet in both worlds. The kingdom of self and the kingdom of God, we vacillate between the two. Some days I live very joyously and willingly under the governance of God and God's love. Other days I live all wrapped up in self-interest, self-indulgence, justifying my behavior and my actions. And I know the kingdom of Scott very well. It's marked by sometimes clutching, grasping. It's a heart closed off to others while focusing on my own will, on my own self-interest, making sure my way prevails, and sometimes even rationalizing I deserve this. They had it coming. They don't know what they did to me. But the kingdom of God I know very well also. And so somehow managed to convince myself that my way is better, but then I know God's way is better. And I know it when I'm living under the governance of God and God's kingdom. I know deep joy, deep peace, and deep freedom. Because I'm no longer clutching, I'm no longer grasping. Holding grudges. I'm no longer trying to impress others or outdo others. I'm simply living in the deep awareness of God's love for me and God's love for others. Let me just take this down, just drill down just a little bit more, and then we'll close. Kind of put feet to this. I read these words this past week from a fellow by the name of Paul Tripp, who tried to put in very, very daily, images, what does it mean to live the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self? To take all the stuff about forgiveness and all the stuff about loving one another and all the stuff about being humble, what does it mean to do it daily? Here's what he has to say. I would ask you again to be humbly honest with yourself as you're reading. If I sat with you and I listened to a recording of the last month of your words, whose kingdom, what kingdom would I conclude those words are spoken to serve? Would it be the kingdom of self with its self-focused demandingness, expectancy, and entitlement? When I hear a person who is quick to criticize, quick to judge, quick to slam, quick to condemn because people are always violating the laws of your kingdom? Is the greatest moral offense in your life an offense that someone makes against the law of your kingdom? And when this happens, do you use words as a punishment or as a weapon? Do you use words to rein this person back into loyal service, of the purposes of your kingdom of one. And then he says, Or would I hear you using words of love, honesty, encouragement, and service, because your heart is taken up with the big sky purposes of the kingdom of God? The entire law is summarized by a single command. If you had written that, what would you have written next? I probably would have written, Love God above all else. But that is not clearly what Paul writes. He writes, Love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that an adequate summary of all that God calls me to It is important to get this truth. It is only when I love God above all else that I ever love my neighbor as myself. It's only when God is in the rightful place that I will treat you with the love that I receive from him. Brothers and sisters, hear this. You don't fix language problems. You don't fix communication problems. And you don't fix word problems horizontally first. You first fix them vertically. In other words, the kingdom of God come near. So, when kingdoms collide, collisions going on in my heart all the time, sometimes in little ways, sometimes in big ways, but always inviting me back into the kingdom of God, into that place of making that my first allegiance. So where will our allegiance be? Where will your allegiance be? Who governs or what governs your life of my life?